Well, it is so good to see all of you here in person and for all of you who are joining online, we want you to know that we are so grateful for the opportunity to be able to come together to worship the Lord. And what we're going to do now is take a look at God's Word in the same heart of worship. I'm going to ask if you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. We'll continue our series in Kingdom Living in a Broken World. And that indeed has been the case. These last two months of August and September have produced some of the most significant wildfires our country has ever experienced. I mean, this has wrecked all sorts of havoc, especially in states like California, Oregon, Washington. They have really been unprecedented, these record-breaking fire clouds, these mega fires, and they've had disastrous results. Over 6.6 million acres of forest has burned down to the ground. And then, of course, You've got over 37 people that have lost their lives. This has forced tens of thousands of people to actually flee for their lives. Tens of thousands of firefighters have been brought in to try to control these blazes. And it's led to all sorts of devastation. There are towns that literally don't exist anymore. They're just completely burned to the ground. I know that... It's not as big a news here in the state of Texas as it might be like in the Northwest, but did you know at one point in September, 10% of the population of Oregon was forced to be evacuated? Imagine if that happened in Texas, what that would look like, and all the chaos. Uh, We have family members that live in like Oregon and Washington, and they talk about actually all these displaced people, and everyone had a plan, whether you're evacuating or you knew at what level you were, and you had a plan to be ready to go in the event that the fire got too close and it was your turn. I mean, some of the things that took place were almost apocalyptic. The smoke was so bad. People were forced to stay in their houses. The the pollution level was so high. That pollution index, the highest level is 500. Um, It was like 499 in Spokane, Washington, where my, my parents live. Absolutely hazardous to even be out there. The smoke got so bad that, like in places like San Francisco, the sun was literally blocked out. And I want you to know that as devastating as these fires have been, there's been another wildfire that has been ravaging our country for some time. In fact, it's almost as if we don't even talk about it. And I'm talking about the subject of divorce. There is not a single person that is here in this room or watching online that has not been scathed and burned by the fires of divorce. Some of you might even be working and wrestling with those issues right now. And the devastation is so great. And yet, in the midst of this fire, God is calling out his people so that they would know his grace and his goodness, that marriage as God designed it would be put on display In fact, perhaps one of the most powerful ways of demonstrating the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, the power of his spirit, is through the marriages of his people. So how do kingdom citizens develop Christ-centered marriages? That really has to be at the forefront of our mind because the fire is blazing, the statistics are bad, and people are getting burned. So there are probably no two verses in the gospel of Matthew that have brought about more heartache, more debate, more interpretation, more reinterpretation, more weeping than Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. You see, 
When Jesus spoke these words, everyone would have been just like, whoa, and brought to a halt, literally startled by what Jesus had to say in just these two verses. You remember, as Jesus is giving this Sermon on the Mount, he's speaking to his disciples, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And he made this radical statement in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, when he said this, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, no one could be more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes. I mean, they've got all these rules and regulations. They're about as holy as they get. They even dress the part. And Jesus said, you know what? They're not in. Because that's all about rules and rituals. And I'm all about relationship and the heart. And the only way you'll ever have a righteousness that surpasses them is you have my perfect righteousness, his perfect life, and his righteousness transferred to your account. So how do kingdom citizens develop a Christ-centered marriage? Well, first of all, kingdom citizens do not diminish marriage with trivial divorce. Take a look here, verse 31. Now Jesus said this, It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, marriage as God designed it is always meant to be monogamous, lifelong, between a man and a woman. That is God's divine design. It's, it's, you find its establishment, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. God said, the triune God, let us make man in our own image. He made them male and female. And then very, verse 27, you find that he brought them together. Husband, wife, However, what happened, and it seems to have unraveled pretty quickly, is that God establishes and gives the great gift of the institution of marriage to humanity, and what happened is people just quickly started moving into divorce. Now, um, adultery, for instance, having a sexual relationship outside the covenant of marriage actually called for not divorce, but both, the, both parties were supposed to be stoned and executed. Harsh, significant, but God meant business. He gave the institution, he gave marriage to humanity, and he had a significant consequence for violating that. But really, he was merciful, and people didn't oftentimes end up getting killed. Although you do see instances of that, and if you want to, it's like, well, where are the passages on that? Like Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, Leviticus 20, verse 10, even in John chapter 8, you remember that woman caught in the act of adultery? Where was the guy? We don't know because it was all a big setup. They were going to do what? They were going to stone her to death. So even in Jesus' time, this was taking place. But what happened, though, is God was merciful. And what people were ending up divorcing their wives but they started divorcing their wives for almost whatever reason, trivial reasons. And in order to uh, end this divorce your wife at will, whatever you want for your women fancy, you find this like in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, where he was trying to regulate and curtail their rampant divorce, where these husbands were just getting rid of their wives for a whim. And if you want to see the text, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, it says this, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out 
from his house. Now, this certificate of divorce was a legal document written, and it was meant to protect the wife's reputation. And it was also to state the reason why she was divorced, so that she could then legally, according now even what the the Jewish uh, leaders were saying, uh, according to the law, actually be remarried again. But it was really meant to protect her. Because if you were a woman that was divorced, you most likely had no economic means of providing for yourself, nor did you have any way of protecting yourself. And so this was a gracious provision God gave Moses. You find it recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 24. But they, the Jewish leaders, they really camped out on just this certificate of divorce, some indecency. That was one of the hot debates. In fact, there were two major camps on what does it mean, this debate on this indecency. So you had like Rabbi Shammai, Conservative, um, not very popular. In fact, his position was not very popular. But he stated, well, indecency, the only indecency that that could be would be adultery. That would be the only reason why you could divorce your wife. But that was not popular. That didn't sit well, just like it wouldn't sit well today, right? And it doesn't. There was another rabbi, and he was very popular. In fact, He had died just 20 years before Jesus began his public ministry. He was winsome. He was very popular. He was influential. He was energetic. And you know what he was? He was liberal. He had such an amazing way to make the Bible say whatever he wanted it to say. He was able to take the Hebrew Scriptures and meld them to fit exactly what you wanted, what they wanted. And that's what he did. He did it. They found extremely creative ways to basically interpret the Bible however they wanted to come to any conclusion that they desired. And that was especially true with Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, this indecency. So let me just, in case you're like, well, just how creative can you get with the Bible? Let me just show you what liberalism looks like. So he taught that a man could divorce his wife for the most trivial reasons. And I'm not making these up for taking her hair down in public, that done. Talking to other men, want to divorce her? She talks to some guys, out of here. Even for burning the bread or putting too much salt on the food. Are you serious? Yeah. Uh, Another one, for her to speak ill of her mother-in-law. Now, you could kind of see that one, you know, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) Or if she was infertile, you could, you could divorce her for that. Oh, one of the other rabbis in the camp of Rabbi Hillel was a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Akaba, And he said this, and this was popular. If you found someone more fair than her, divorce her. You got it. That's what Moses meant. Do you see how rampant, how trivial? I want you to know that kingdom citizens... They don't diminish marriage with trivial divorce. So Jesus said, you know, it is said, you're familiar with this, and they all were. In fact, they all were holding on to their liberal interpretations. In fact, many of them probably had divorced and remarried someone. And Jesus has got their full attention, and so he points out that kingdom citizens hold marriage in high regard. Look at this. 
verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus shatters the illusion of self-righteousness. This has been kind of the pattern pattern in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard it this way, but let me give you the true intent. Let me take it down to the heart level. And he is setting himself up as the authority. The gravity of Jesus' statement cannot be overlooked. He is presenting that his word is on the authority and par with the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures that have already been given. And he says, listen, kingdom citizens, they hold marriage in high regard, and they refuse infidelity and rampant divorce. In fact, do you see what he said? He said, verse 32, everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. Except for the reason of, my Bible translates this word unchastity, but maybe yours has like immorality. But the Greek word is porneia. It's where we get our word pornography. And it was a word, kind of a general word for sexual sin. It included adultery. And by the way, there is a Greek word for adultery. It's the Greek word mokeia. And Jesus doesn't use that word, but what he uses is the more broader word, porneia. Porneia would include not only adultery, but like unfaithfulness during the betrothal or like an engagement period. Remember, Joseph was going to divorce Mary because they were betrothed, right? They were engaged, but she was found to be with a child, and he's like, whoa, same idea, porneia. Or uh, period homosexuality, incest, bestiality, child molestation. All of this would be included in this word, porneia. And Jesus says that is the only legitimate reason for divorce and remarriage. But notice what he does say. He says the only reason, except for the reason of unchastity, he says that if you divorce your wife, except for that reason, you make her commit adultery. You see that? He's saying the person that is guilty is the one that forced this illegitimate divorce. She is going to need provisions. She's going to need some sort of economic standing and protection. She gets married, and he says, the fault lies with the person who gave this illegitimate and forced the issue. He says, they're the ones that are wrong. And then furthermore, he says, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And what he's recognizing is like, hey, you've got all this rampant divorce, and so you have all these women that have been forced from their marriages because of all these silly, stupid reasons that you're following because of all of your liberal religious leaders, and you think you're fine. And Jesus says, I got news for you. You are not. You are marrying these women. You're just you're just continually, perpetually forcing adultery on society, and it is wrong, and the fault lies with the one who is forcing this illegitimate marriage, because marriage is holy, it is set apart by God, and it's his design. And so Jesus is saying, you know, with all these liberal interpretations, you making it up as you go, make it fit the way you want it, I know that happens like all the time especially like in modern-day Christianity. 
all this liberalism and modernism where we just kind of rip the Bible apart, pick and choose, meld it here and there, and make it say whatever we want. I got news for you. That's not what Scripture has been given for. It's not for a little puzzle for us to arrange anywhere we want it. It is for us to recognize that God is the authority and he has established right and wrong. He's established the way to live. And Jesus is addressing these issues and saying, you have made a mockery out of marriage. There are only three biblical bases for remarriage. Let me just give them to you. You see, since marriage is a physical union, only a physical cause can actually break up marriage. Let me give you the three. One is death. If your spouse dies, you would be free to remarry in the Lord. No problems absolutely whatsoever. Scripture passage, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Second biblical reason, sexual immorality, porneia. Here, like we see here in Matthew 5, 32. This issue also comes up again, Matthew 19, verse 9. If porneia exists, it happens. Why, you would have a legitimate biblical reason for divorce, and you then could be biblically remarried. And then there's a third found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and that is abandonment. That your non-believing spouse... You're just like, I'm done with you. I don't want you anymore. Your attempts to reconcile are rebuffed. They just kind of walk away. You try. This could also include um, like abuse, abuse in their role that leads to this abandonment. First Corinthians chapter 7 says that God has called us to peace. And you would then be in a position, if they're walking away, they will not have reconciliation, that you would be, uh, have, be able to have a legitimate divorce and to be able to be remarried. You see, if there is a biblical basis for divorce, there is a biblical basis for remarriage. Legal basis for divorce, a legal basis for remarriage. But I want you to know that that wasn't happening in Jesus' time, just like it's not happening now. Let me give you the most recent statistics on divorce in the United States. The estimated divorce rate in America for the first marriage is 41 to 50%. The estimated divorce rate for a second marriage, because oftentimes you get divorced, then you get remarried again, is 60 to 67%. And the estimated divorce rate for a third marriage is 73 to 74%. Now, I've got good news that the divorce rates are declining, and that's great. And there is a very powerful explanation as to why that's happening because younger people are now getting married older. But, you know, we're so familiar with divorce. It, it's everywhere. We've all faced it. We've got it in our families. We might have it in our own personal background. And I want you to know that there is so much heartache that comes with divorce. Um, part of the problem is this. We've adopted a romantic view toward marriage. Now, I want you to know romance is good. I'm all for it. But let me tell you where this romantic view of marriage has really led our culture astray. It's the idea that there is the perfect person out there, and I'm talking perfect. They're going to meet your every need, no matter what you say, how you behave, what you do. They are going to love you perfectly, despite the fact that you're imperfect, but they love you so much they're so understanding. 
And so what happens is we've got this romanticized view. We kind of watch all these flicks. People read books and magazines. They talk about, and they're all looking for this perfect person. And then they suddenly get married thinking like, whoa, I have found the perfect person. And guess what? You find out you are married to a big-time sinner, and they don't really love you quite the way you thought, and all of a sudden there are imperfections, and there are problems that exist, and you're like, oh, no, I've married the wrong one. Oh, this is terrible because I deserve nothing but the best and someone that's going to love me perfectly, right? Isn't this not what happens? And so all of a sudden you're like, man, i got to hit the eject button here. i got to get out of this because after all, it's all about me and my happiness, and I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for perfection. And so what happens is we've got all these lonely folks that are convinced that these imperfections are not normal in marriage. And I've got news for you. If you're married, you know this. Yes, there are going to be some problems. You are married to an imperfect person, and i got news for you. You are imperfect. <gasps> right? It's true. It is absolutely true. And yet divorce, you're like, man, I, they've, they've really hurt me. They've done some bad things. Um, they, they've committed adultery, and I'm, I'm gone. I want you to know that people that have gone through divorce, or even maybe you're currently in that situation right now, you go through a widespread issues like um, emotional distance, insecurity, fear, depression, anger, perhaps a strong sense of betrayal. I mean, these are real issues. I mean, you might try to put a little smile on it and, oh, everything's fine, but you know it's not. But what actually blindsides many people that go into divorce and follow through with it is things that they had never expected. How it affects them, and if you've got children in the equation, how it affects those kids. For instance, you go through a grief because divorce is a death of a union, a death of a dream, a death of a family unit. You go through trauma. You, you find out that this person that you just had to break away from in divorce, or they forced you into it, they just wouldn't reconcile, you find out that you've got to have a relationship with that ex-spouse if there are kids involved. And if communication was one of the big problems, and that is obviously one of the big issues out there, guess what? You're going to have to get a lot better at communication once you are divorced because you're going to be talking about issues and you're going to have to get better at learning how to talk with one another. And then, of course, there's financial stress. And we're talking significant. You generally can't live like you once lived. And then, of course, there is the emotional problems that come, not just for you, but for the kids. And, of course, you want to like, well, we're doing this for the kids. No, you're not. No. I want you to know that some of these last for years. Some of them last for a lifetime. You experience them. Kids experience them. Problems like um, abandonment uh, bring about distrust. They, they fear that they're going to be abandoned. Um, insecurity. And it affects people, friends. And then there's other issues like losing friends or finding that you've got to divide your belongings and your holidays. I had one lady in my office several years ago, and she had gone through a divorce. And she's sitting there across the table, and she said, Grant, divorce 
is not the answer. And it's not. I know it's what our society says, but friends, it is not the answer. You see, what we need is a work of God's grace. What we need for all of these folks that are going through divorce and the pain that comes with that, we need the church with compassion, with love, with care. And what is needed is the wise counsel of mature believers. I mean, if you've got all these folks that really don't even know their Bibles and they're giving and spewing out all sorts of bad advice in Jesus' name, it's not helpful. What is needed is for the church to know Christ, to honor Christ, and to experience his love and to present it and to show the love and the care that comes from him. And I want you to know that even for the most heinous of sins, the possibility of forgiveness always exists, right? God can do the impossible. In fact, he seems to specialize in it. And if you're saying like, yeah, but we're talking like adultery. There's a book in the Bible that actually addresses this very issue. You may have come across it. The book of Hosea. And he's got an adulterous wife. In fact, she's into prostitution. And he takes her back. What is that? That's the power of God. I want you to know, in and of yourself, you can't do this. Absolutely not. But in Christ, forgiveness is possible. In fact, when you seek that kind of restoration brought back into place and that kind of hope, it is the power of the gospel and it is an amazing testimony. You see, kingdom citizens hold marriage in high regard and that means we are refusing infidelity and rampant divorces. But it's got to be a lot more than, well, I'm just staying away from this and and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to divorce. Friends, there has to be the positive side of this Kingdom citizens hold marriage in high regard. That is why they pursue oneness in marriage. You see, this situation about divorce, I mean, it was so prevalent in the society and the times of Jesus, just like it is now, it came up again. In fact, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 19 where you see this. Several chapters later, guess what? Jesus' statement, man, was rattling a society. This conflagration of culture when Jesus said, no, you can't just divorce your wife or whatever. No way. Well, I want you to know that was making waves. And he got asked this question. You read about it in Matthew chapter 19. You see, Jesus, when he's asked this question, he then focuses on the building blocks of a godly marriage. Take a look at here. Matthew 19, verse 3. Here are the Pharisees. Look at this. Some Pharisees came to Jesus. And notice what they're doing. They're testing him. They're not looking for real answers. They're like, we're really truth seekers. We really want to know. Obviously, you're the Messiah. You're God. Would you just tell us once for all? Because we really desperately want to know the truth. That's not that. These are the folks that are just always looking to stir up a little controversy. In this case, they're trying to turn the crowds against Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? I really don't care. What I really do care is about the truth. And I want people to know the truth about marriage. So they're testing him. And they're asking him, here's the question. Ta-da! Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? You see, they want Jesus to say that again because they think that's going to turn the masses against him. And Jesus is all for the truth. He's all for life. And so what he does is he tells them that we pursue oneness by knowing that marriage is designed by God. Look what he says, verse 4, And he answered and said, Have you not read 
that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. He's, he's skipping over all their little rabbinic traditions, and He just says, listen, from the very beginning, marriage is God's idea. He is the one that gave this institution to humanity. Remember Genesis 1:26, let us make man in our image, male and female. He's the one who designed it and he brought them together. It is a divinely established complementary rules. It is all about God. It's his plan. And friends, understanding that marriage is really all about him really will change how you see your marriage. If you think it's all about you and your happiness, and my spouse needs to really kind of basically do this for me and just meet all my needs and all my expectations, I want you to know when you see that marriage is really all about God, it'll change how you see your spouse and how you pursue marriage. But it gets to started by understanding that it, marriage is designed by God But second, we pursue oneness by developing unity. So he says, it is God who did it. He made them male and female. And then look at verses 5 and 6. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. You see, it's God who has joined this couple together. And notice, it is one man and one woman. It's not one man and two women or two men and one woman. It's not two men. It's not two women. It's not group marriage. It's not gay marriage. It is one man for one woman. That is God's divine design. It's not open to interpretation. It's not open to, well, we're going to re- redefine these things. He has absolutely established it the way he intended it, for it to flourish. In fact, it is an expression of his covenant nature. That's what God has established here. And Jesus says what God has joined together speaks of actually gluing, permanent, fastening together. God's the one who has done this. He's the one who brought you together. And marriage is this beautiful blending of hearts, souls, minds, spirit. A oneness is experienced relationally, emotionally, sexually, physically. You are together. This is God's divine design. And you got to pursue oneness. You cannot go passive. Marriage is the mingling of lives and souls by God's divine design. And it's beautiful. And it's an expression of covenant. It's what God intended for those who he's called to marriage to experience this oneness. And so Jesus is highlighting what we have to do is you pursue oneness in marriage. We hold marriage in high regard. We recognize that it is God who has brought them together. So what you do is you pursue oneness. Not just staying away from divorce and immorality, please do that, but to pursue a oneness, a unity. It's a oneness in Christ, learning to enjoy God, learning to walk in the Spirit, to grow in grace, learning how to extend forgiveness. It's a oneness in Christ. Some of the best advice I've ever heard uh, in dating is this. What you want to do is you really want to take your relationship with Jesus seriously Grow as a worshiper of him. Start serving Christ. And then as you're doing that, 
once you're going in the right direction and you're walking with God, look around and see if there is someone uh, from the opposite sex that's going in the same direction. That would be, if they're single, a really good candidate for you to marry. Friends, I want you to know, I know that, mar- that dating is treated very flippantly in today's society, and it's a come and go and a hookup culture and all that. I want you to know that if you are truly a Christian, you want to take God at his word. When he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. This is a covenant relationship. This is meant to be an expression of God and his love. So take him seriously. You, what we do is we pursue oneness in Christ. We also pursue oneness in love. So if you're married, what you do is you do everything you can to learn how to communicate, to grow, to appreciate, to encourage one another. You, through Christ, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to learn how to uh, extend forgiveness, how to persevere through difficulties. Your oneness, this shared covenant relationship, it's got to be pursued, it's got to be cultivated, and it's got to be protected. If you go passive and you're just like, well, I'll just kind of wait for it to happen, it doesn't work that way. You've got to engage. God has given us his spirit so that you will move forward. Imperfect though you may be, you are pursuing oneness. That's what God wants. Marriage is a shared covenant relationship. And let me just also, as we're just talking, just real practically about pursuing oneness. You pursue oneness as a couple with your goals and your plan to meet them. I don't know if you've ever really thought about like, well, okay, so we're married, but... So what, what exactly is the goal? And do we even have a plan to get there? No, we're just married. Okay, so what's the goal and what's your plan to get there? Well, let me just share with you, like, so I'm married to Karina. I'd just like to share with you a few of our goals and a little bit about the plan. So, like, we have a, a goal, and this was established when we were dating and then we got engaged, like, to have a loving and a lasting marriage. We really wanted that. We knew the statistics were against us, but that's what we really wanted, a loving, elastic marriage. Another goal we had is that we wanted a Christ-centered home. We wanted it to be Jesus first, at the center. We wanted a Christ-centered home where we would worship the Lord and we'd serve him with joy and that he would be our highest priority. That was our desire. Um... That would be our trajectory. If God gave us kids, that's what we wanted for our home. In fact, when it came to family, uh, we had this goal, to raise and release our children to walk with God and to be fully functional adults. We prayed about these things. I mean, Kurt and I took this really seriously. We read books. We, I was involved in youth ministry, so I saw lots of parents. We talked to lots of different people. We wanted our children to walk with God And we wanted them to become fully functional adults. And obviously, God is the only one that can bring heart transformation. He's the one that brings change. But I want you to know, we gave ourselves and continue to do so for that to be a reality in our family. Our kids love God, and they are walking with him, and that they are becoming fully functional adults. And let me give you one other goal. And and by the way, we talked a lot about this. Like on that parenting piece, you're saying, well, that's a great goal. We really thought that what the scriptures taught is that you go for the heart. We were looking to shepherd our children's heart, not just get behavioral modification. 
go to the heart, the deep conversations, the ongoing conversations of moving in that direction. And let me give you just one more. We have a, a goal financially to live below our means, to give generously, sacrificially, and joyfully. And another one is to save for the future. And we actually have a, a plan, a strategy, and we've been following it for years in these different areas. You don't have to adopt, my, adopt our goals, but you do need to have goals and strategies if you're married. You see, God has given us marriage so that covenant would be put on display. Marriage is an institution that God has given humanity. And so, whether you took your marriage seriously or pretty flippantly, whether you got married in Vegas or you did, whoa, we really got to know each other, we did premarital counseling, we read books, we had all sorts of really deep discussions, and you took it really seriously, which, by the way, you want to do, plus involve people that are mature believers and have them interface with you. But it doesn't matter how you got married. And maybe you are divorced and you're remarried, and maybe you're on your third or fourth marriage, you know? I want you to know it doesn't actually matter how you got married. Know that if you are married, what God brought you together and he wants you to experience the fullness of marriage. You see, your marriage does not belong to you. It's his. And so you're here and like, there's a reason why it's just completely silent in here. Because like every single one of us has faced these issues. God specializes in addressing sin issues and heart issues. That's why he has sent his son. You might be, might be now be going like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what has actually happened. I never thought I would be here or I would do such things, and yet I've done them. And I knew they were wrong even at the time. Let me give you some verses. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, says God, and I will remember their sins no more. Believe the gospel. If you truly know Christ, you've repented of sin, of missing the mark, and you're trusting in him, God never sees you in your sin, always in the Son. That is liberating and freeing, isn't it? You are forgiven. He sees you in Christ. Let me give you another verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Wow. Talk about total forgiveness, new life. It's Jesus. You see, God glorifies himself by taking the unholy and making them holy, by taking those who are worldly and making them worshipful, taking those who are self-centered and making them Christ-centered, taking those who are rebellious and making them regenerate and redeemed. And friends, I want you to know that through the working of the Spirit, it's not that you've hit perfection, because none of us have. It's direction, it's growth, it's grace, it's forgiveness. And you might be going like, whoa, man, if you really knew my past, it's a mess. I want you to know that God takes the knots of our lives and he makes it a masterpiece of his tapestry. It looks like in lots of knots and strings and problems on this side, but you flip it over. And in heaven, it leads to the glorious worship and the praise of God. That is the nature of 
of the Savior. That is the hope of the world. It is Jesus. It's what we need. And so, friends, anyone that's been through an illegitimate divorce, you've sexually sinned against your spouse, you're actually perhaps committing sexual sin right now, you're not married, I want you to know those are not unforgivable sins. But what you do need is to trust in the Savior. You need to turn and mean business and repent and receive the grace, the forgiveness, and the life that he has to offer. And I want you to also know that strong Christian marriages are going to come under attack. You are going to face lightning storms, just like there are a variety of reasons for all these wildfires, all these lightning strikes, arsonists. Uh, you got a situation where, like, you got the gender reveal party and it went a little wrong. You set this huge fire in California. There are a lot of reasons why there are wildfires, and there's a lot of lightning strikes that happen to marriages today, such as sexual temptation, communication problems, stressful events that just it totally catches you by surprise, and you feel like you're unraveling. You've got fears and frustrations. You've got unrealized expectations. I want you to know that what keeps you from burning to the ground and burning your marriages up is the grace of God and the goodness of Jesus. That's why we focus and worship him. We focus on him. You see, fulfilling marriages, happy marriages, those aren't accidents like, I don't know how it happened. I want you to know there's a lot of intentionality that goes into a happy, fulfilling marriage. There is commitment, love, mutual understanding, all sorts of communication, sacrifice, hard work, time, lots and lots of forgiveness, grace, honesty, revealing heart. There is a pursuit relationally, emotionally, physically, sexually to actually be one and to pursue oneness, and you do so to the glory of God. You know, in Washington State's um, Northern Cascades, there are all these like really old trees, Um, one tree in particular. I mean, we're talking really old, like they're hundreds of years old, One tree in particular is over 700 years old. And you're like, well, how is that even possible? Because, you know, the normal course of fire in forests is, you know, like every 50 to 60 years, a forest will burn. So it's smarter to harvest those trees than to watch them burn. But whatever, it's all politicized. But that's kind of how it works. But in the uh, Cascades, though, they got these trees, and they're like living for hundreds of years. And you're like, well, how's that possible? Let me tell you how. Because they just have this constant misting rain. It's just always rainy, damp, kind of gray. Texans go up there, they can handle it for about two hours, you know, otherwise you get depressed because it's just gray. But it might be hard for you, but I want you to know it's wonderful for those trees. You know, the, the U.S. Forest Service put a tree uh, around this tree that's over 700 years old. They got a little fence around it. They got a plaque. You know Why? It's worthy of your admiration. It has gone the distance. And that's what God intends for our marriages, to go the distance to the glory of God. You see, God is magnified in marriage when we trust in Jesus and his word. Let's pray. And I just want to give you a minute, and I know that Jesus' words are heavy-hitting. They hit us to the core. Why don't you take a minute just to talk about what's really on your heart in light of Jesus' words. If you need to ask for forgiveness, you need help and healing, talk to him now.